Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Hello and welcome to Home Education Matters. And today I'm joined by Jake from Humanities Learning, and we are going to be talking about how to engage the disengaged child. And this is one of those funny ones that in home ed, I think there's a tendency to think that as soon as your child comes out of school, they will be super engaged with learning. They will be absolutely fine. They will now be autonomous. They'll be able to take responsibility for the joy of learning. It doesn't always work out quite that way. And also at the start, quite often your child may still be having a bit of school trauma and may frankly just not really feel like learning is their friend. So I have, my daughter's done a few courses with Jake and I have Jake down as a bit of a guru when it comes to engaging children in subjects that you wouldn't naturally think they would engage with. I'm thinking things like ancient history, geography, I mean, religious studies. I'm a religious studies teacher or was, so I'm allowed to say that. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the most easily engaging subject for some children. So I thought I would bring Jake on the podcast to tell us how to engage the disengaged child. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jake. And do tell us a little bit about yourself and your home ed journey. Thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Um, yeah, my home ed journey uh, from a personal point of view started, well, I suppose 14 years ago with the birth of my daughter. Um, and we decided, me and my wife and I, at quite a young age, that we would uh, home educate uh, and we always left it that they would we, we would give them the option to home educate or be home educated and it was always going to be entirely up to them whether they went to school or tried school or whatever and my daughter who's now 14 and has just started college to do her some GCSEs she never showed any interest in going to school at all um, so from day one and, and you know home education for us started on day one it wasn't we didn't wait until they got to school age and then started it. You know, it was just an ongoing way that we did things. Um, uh, my son, on the other hand, who's two years younger, he chose the option at seven. He decided he wanted to go to school and he's still there now. So we've got one foot in sort of the traditional schooling camp and we've got one foot in the home education camp. And, you know, our children, my children are very, very different and they both need different things and it works for us. So there you go. Yeah. For those people, obviously, people are listening to the podcast and not watching it, and so they can't tell. They can't tell how young you are, but you look pretty young, Jake, and your daughter's fourteen. So you must be, you must have had her quite young. So, what made you move towards <clears throat> thinking? Do you know what actually? Uh, you know, schooling is an option rather than just the standard route we're going to take. Oh, that's very much down to my wife. I mean, uh, we we did have children. I suppose quite. I don't think of myself as young. Um, but yeah, we had our first child when we were 22. That's when I started. That's when we got married and when we when I started teaching. Um, and yeah, she was uh, very early on. She was involved in lots of uh, sort of mother and baby groups. And we fell into, I suppose, what would have been considered at the time a very alternative group. Um, it was all, um, you know, washable nappies and no push chairs and slings instead and all this kind of stuff. And so being part of that tight-knit community which i think was mainly through social media mainly through facebook um it opened up a whole load of knowledge and ideas that we didn't have uh, or i certainly didn't have before i you know, grew up in a very traditional setting educationally wise and was very happy doing that 
but yeah, the door was open to us reading books, um, you know, talking to people we knew, talking to older members of the community who were doing a similar thing. And it just seemed to flow naturally from there. And you were a trained teacher and operating as a teacher at the time, were you? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, started at 22. Um, and then I taught in mainstream schools, secondary schools, uh, as a RS teacher, religion, because that's what my degree is in, um, for 10 years before stopping that and becoming an almost entirely home education teacher. Yeah. You, did you go straight from being a teacher to being a home ed tutor? Because I've known you as a home ed tutor for quite a long time. So did you actually, did you ever have that buffer period where you were just tutoring anybody or did you immediately go into the home ed market? Uh, immediately into home ed. Uh, and that wasn't, it wasn't like a business decision or anything. Um, it was, I mean, it was a big gamble. I, I essentially gave up my job because I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, very supportive wife who, who encouraged me to do that. And I taught the people that we knew. So it would be um, my daughter's and my son's age students who we knew from you know all the years of bringing them up. Um, and yeah, it was pretty scary. The first year, I think I probably turned a profit of about £3.50. Um, <laughs> it was all very sort of learning by the seat of, seat of my pants. But eventually, um, I kind of got into it and and started to branch out and do online teaching and that that really changed things from there because um, you were one of the first in the home education group weren't you to offer those kind of online courses yeah i suppose so um i think you know strangely covid was uh very positive to me personally i mean not not in terms of health of course but um the sort of lockdown period when everyone was jumping on and there was this sudden rush to get everyone in the country educated from home. Uh, I had already been operating for a year. So I had an idea about how these things work, you know, how to use Zoom and things. Um, and so I started giving uh, free lessons during lockdown. And, you know, it was essentially because uh, one of my sisters, she said, you know, I've got my uh, nephew at home and he needs some education. And so I said, well, I'll just do this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll do it all together. And yeah, so having that bit of experience beforehand, and of course that 10 years of teaching before, which was probably the most important experience, uh, yeah, led to it uh, taking off and yeah, working. I know that when I first encountered your website, so that must have been 2017-ish, 2018-ish, I would say, something yeah, like that, yeah, right? should be around there. When yeah. you first started, you were, you were offering courses in GCSE classes that I that I had not seen offered things like ancient history, classical civilization, religious studies. I think were the main ones you started with. Now, for me, I'm a I'm a big humanities girl. I love humanity. I did theology at university, and I was an art, a religious studies teacher as well. So we're kind of vibing. But yeah. um, uh, there's there's no doubt that when I saw these classes, I did think that must be kind of hard to engage children with that kind of quite meaty, particularly things like classical civ, but also ancient history, quite kind of heavy content. But when I, my, my, I signed my daughter up and I would, because I'm one of these controlling parents, I would always sit in and sort of sit in next to her to see, see what, see what was going on. And immediately I was struck with how well you engage the children with the subject matter. So today I wondered whether you could give us or, or give our listeners some tips about engaging children with these kind of quite difficult subjects or, or actually, I mean, realistically, if your child is disengaged, any subject is a difficult subject, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I find it interesting that you say <laughs> these are difficult subjects because in my naivety, I, I, I always say that I'm just incredibly lucky to have the most exciting and interesting subjects to teach. I always th say, you know, the worst thing that I could do is be a maths teacher because I, I, I wouldn't know how to make that engaging or exciting or it's just numbers. I'm not very good with numbers anyway. Um, so for me, it's really just sharing my enthusiasm with the topics. Uh, it's never crossed my mind that uh, it wouldn't be infinitely exciting because I find it infinitely exciting. Um, but yeah, there's coming up against students who um, I've had quite a few um, who find it hard to be engaged or they're not interested or they don't like the sound of the topic on paper, which is really, I think, where it starts. Uh, it's difficult to get across um, the value of a topic or the breadth of a topic or the, the depth of a topic without actually having you know, gone through the lessons and, and had a go at it. Um, so I think rule number one is enthusiasm. And I think if you cannot be enthusiastic in what you're teaching, then you're starting from a from a really difficult place because you know students aren't uh, daft. They can they can pick up on your enthusiasm. Um, I have in the past tried to teach things which I don't know I didn't find particularly engaging myself, and I find that really really difficult because I I, I find it really hard to create enthusiasm in myself when there isn't any. So in those terms, maybe I'm just very lucky that I find these subjects massively. Yeah, interesting. Do you create your enthusiasm in some way? Because I'm, I'm guessing there'll be parents listening who think, yeah, but I'm just not enthusiastic about history. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose in some way, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I do wonder if I could do it for maths. That's the ultimate test. Maybe one day I'll try it and I'll <laughs> see how it goes and I'll see if I can, uh, if I can boil myself up. But no, I mean, you can take, you know, you take a standard GCSE textbook and they're pretty dry. You know, the ancient history textbook is I mean, it's factually good, but it's not particularly engaging. It's not particularly exciting. Um, but that's where I start reading around and I find the stories and I find the different, uh, different scholars opinions about things. And then I sort of build that enthusiasm. So, and um, there are always topics which I come across at first and I read through them and I think, ah, how am I going to get this across to a young person? And what I do is I break it down for myself. Um, if I can teach it to myself, then I feel like I can teach it to anyone. So the more complicated, the more dry, the more difficult, I try and find the angle. And there's a, there always is an angle. Um, again, that might be because I'm lucky with my subjects. Um, my subjects, the humanities, are about humans, and humans are infinitely interesting. So, you know, there's some people find humans very boring. So <laughs> some people find numbers that. really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and and I mean, to go back to maths, I don't know why I'm laboring this point, but I, I don't find maths very interesting, but the lives of mathematicians uh, and when I can start it, when I've had to pick up maths, when I've done it through the lives of mathematicians, that's my way in. And that's how I can then begin to understand it and find it interesting and find it almost beautiful. Um, so maybe with you know somebody who doesn't like history, history is a particularly good one because you can teach the history of anything you can take your love of cars or football or cookery and you can just you, you can go from there uh, especially in britain the the syllabus uh, the sorry the national curriculum is very very wide open um 
there's, I think at the moment, I think I'm right that there's only one compulsory unit at Key Stage 3, and that's the Holocaust. But everything else is completely wide open. Um, you can do period studies of any period you feel like. So you can find, you know, you could do, and I have done a course on the history of football. I know nothing about football, um, but I put it together and I sort of researched it and I found all the stuff because I knew that a lot of my students love football. Um, and so by finding the interesting characters and finding the kings who banned it and the kings who supported it, and, you know, it all comes together. Um, and that, that's what builds my enthusiasm, yeah. So, I mean, I get the impression from what you just said that the way that you, en- you engage yourself in the subject and that then because you're engaged and enthused, whoever you're teaching, whether it's like a, you obviously are teaching like a bunch of students, but if it was a parent teaching their own child or just facilitating the lesson with their own child, that enthusiasm bubbles over. Yes, I go into most lessons just really excited about what I can tell people. Uh, especially if it's something that I've just learned something new about and I'll, I'll be in there and I'll be, you know, sometimes the students will tell me to calm down a bit because I'm obviously just so excited about getting it across and, you know, find out, you know, I'll tell you about this cool thing that I found out and isn't this amazing. And sometimes they go, no, it's not very interesting at all. <laughs> but most of the time they're with me on the journey and, you know, they, they, they build off that enthusiasm. And this is what I learned, you know, starting teaching, what, 15 however long it was ago, many years ago, to be an RS teacher and to be put in front of a class and told, right, you've got to teach, you know, this element of the Bible or this element about Jesus's life to a group of people who, for all kinds of reasons, don't care. You know, there's students from different religious backgrounds who have a, 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 you know, a, a, a problem with Christianity in its basic form you've got secular kids you've got kids who just you know they'd rather be playing football or whatever um if you go in there and you stand in front of that class of 30 kids and you say you know today we're going to learn about jesus and i'm going to tell you some stuff it's not going to work but if you run in there and you're jumping up and down and you're they they come with you um yeah i suppose that's how it works I think um, I think that's so true because I know that when I first started teaching my husband at the time he was teaching ICT as it was then and uh, we would come home from teaching and I would say oh my god you know it's like really you know I'm really finding it stressful and he'd be like really I find it okay and I said well you've got a glittering little flickery screen to engage their attention I've got god to engage their attention and it's not working and and I often think that actually I think religious studies teachers of all teachers and maybe possibly philosophy teachers, because I also did a bit of that, and that was pretty hard. I think if we can engage children with that subject, I think we can engage them with any subject in the world, because it is difficult. Yeah. It is difficult to engage uh-huh. them, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, with RS, you, there's always an interesting saint. That's the thing. You know, if you look below the surface, there's always a saint who did something that the children will find properly mad. Uh, and, and that's your way in often, you know, that <laughs> this is what it means to, to be, to believe in this or to, to follow this line. Um, and, you know, I, I have managed to, you know, to sort of with my own children, trying to pick up subjects that I find more difficult or, or less interesting. Um, it's about trying to sort of, I mean, with my daughter, she's interesting because she's kind of the polar opposite to me, I suppose, in terms of our academic interests. She's all about the sciences. She's all about, you know, she did a lot of astronomy, which is something which goes over my head because it's too mathsy. Um, but then I can pick up on her enthusiasm 
and then we sort of make a feedback loop. So the fact that she's excited about the periodic table, say, and um, that then helps me become excited about the periodic table, and then we've got we, we can sort of learn together. Um, and that was, you know, has always been the way that we personally, my, my wife and I, have done home education is we've never done any subjects or topics that our kids haven't wanted to do. So there's always been at least one of you know, the pair of us, the, the student, the, the parent, whatever. And um, we've always had one of us that's super enthusiastic. And what about things like maths? I mean, because some some subjects really are kind of obligatory, aren't they? And and yeah. and I mean, I've I have struggled to make maths fun. I've got to say, I've, I have struggled to be engaged myself, and I've struggled to engage my daughter with it. So, I mean, what about that? You know, things, topics, or subjects that you just have no interest in at all. Uh huh. At a sort of earlier level, so say you know, primary school level or the equivalent of, um, it was a lot of using media. So lots of, I can remember lots of times table songs and stuff like that, doing little dances. Um, and then, I don't know, this is a cop-out answer, but uh, as they progressed towards GCSE age, it was finding a tutor externally who could mm. engage them and who had that love for maths. And uh, I know that's not very useful, uh, to a lot of people because I wish I had the the silver bullet that says, you know, you can build that enthusiasm about anything. But uh, I personally found it difficult. Um, but there, is, you know, there will be someone out there and it doesn't have to be an external tutor, um, you know, a, a grandparent, a family member, somebody who's got, you know, a background in this. You know, there's usually someone around that, that we've been able to lean on. Um, you know, there's a wide, you know, our parents, grandparents, and we've got a, a wide selection of people with a lot of wide likes and interests that really help out. And I think that's true. And I certainly I know that when my son was about 12, 13, he loved physics, still loves physics. And I actually engaged him a tutor and I said to her, you know, I want him to sit the GCSE, but more importantly, I just want him to hang out with somebody who equally loves physics. So you can just kind of like make physics jokes together or whatever. Yes. Yeah, that, that is really important. And, you know, we've, we've done that with, we've sometimes had tutors who the actual content isn't really that important. And, um, you know, there are times when my daughter just wants to talk to someone about what she loves. Uh, and we did this mainly, I suppose, with things like English, uh, finding, you know, with English, with creative writing, we would always just pick something that she's obsessed with at the time. Um, because she goes through obsessions and you know, she, she'll pick on something and she'll absolutely love it. And you, know, you can blend that into all the lessons. Um, the other week we were doing, uh, her, her big passion at the moment is a computer game called Genshin Impact. And she's been struggling with uh, graphs and tables and things like that. So we graphed out you know, Genshin characters and their likes and dislikes or their relative heights and things like that. And it's, it's about bringing what she's interested in into the into the lesson and finding a, a way to bring that together uh, it's not always possible or at least maybe i'm not imaginative enough always to make it possible but i, I feel like that's you know harness what the energy that's there right i suppose that's the key harness the energy that's already there and go with it yeah i like that phrase and also it helps to make it relevant doesn't it so they sort of understand how they could use these skills in future i mean i know my son loves anything to do with spreadsheeting he likes dungeons and dragons so everything goes on a spreadsheet and um and i mean and he totally i mean he'd never he was never taught spreadsheeting he just 
he needed to, he thought, I need a tool that does this. And I'm like, there is a tool that does this. And then he taught it himself. And and there's that idea of it being relevant to what they're interested in. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, similar story with my daughter. She loves D&D. Uh, I love D&D. So uh, we sort of bond on that. And yeah, you can use that to do all kinds of things. Um, I'm also a big fan of a game called Warhammer. And so play that a lot with my son. And that helps us to you know, develop math skills and all kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, it's, there's always a way in somewhere. We did a podcast um, on Dungeons and Dragons, actually, I'm and so, how yeah. you can, how helpful it is for education. And my son does a game that isn't Warhammer, but it sounds like similar where you have to do diplomacy and you have to invade certain countries. And he's been doing it a few years and he's learned so many interesting, um, I don't know how helpful it is, but like almost like manipulative techniques and like, like almost like NLP style where you say certain things that, and he came to me about two years ago and said, I want to learn conversational hypnosis. And I'm like, I feel like you're trying to conquer the world here, but okay. I mean, I guess it all counts as learning. But you you learn so much from these games, don't you? Yeah, you can do definitely. Um, and you know, and, and the way that these games, I suppose, engage their audiences is by making them you know super exciting and bright, and uh, you know, giving you lots of. I suppose the way specifically computer games. I suppose there's always like short term goals that you're going for and you're hitting and you get a small reward for doing it. And that keeps your attention, right? And so there's no reason why we can't port that over into every level of education, really. Um, you know, little goals that are easily achievable, adding up to you know, great achievements in the end. And that's essentially what I do with GCSEs is, you know, we take each lesson and we learn a thing in each lesson. And sometimes the students are like, oh, I don't know, what, you know, how is this, <laughs> what is this leading to? then by the end of the course, it all comes together and it's all, you know, a complete package, or at least that's the plan. But um, you also follow on, don't you, from your video content with homework most of the time, where the questions are quite exam-based almost. So all the way through the courses, it's like you're bringing in the skills or the question-answering skills they'll need for the exams. Yeah, and I think, yeah, homework is, I know it's contentious and I absolutely despise homework for the sake of homework. That's the worst. One of the one of the things that annoyed me most about being a teacher was being forced to uh, punish students for not doing their homework. But I think the homework's really important and it's really useful um, to help build skills, ideas, uh, just to consolidate what we've learned in the lesson. Um, but I don't make it much of a part, or I never make a big point of it in lessons. You know, I get up early in the morning and I'll do a couple of hours of marking each day and I'll do all the planning and I'll do all the building and I'll do all the difficult sort of adult emails. But when the lesson starts, that's not stuff the kids need to know about. That's not, mm. you know, that, that's, that's, that's the below the surface stuff. And if I've done that stuff right, and I'm happy with you know, tracking my students and seeing what they're doing and you know, giving them feedback, then the lesson is a time for fun. And so I don't mention homework very much at all, or I try very hard not to. Um, you know, I've got a whole range of students, some who will never touch the homework at all. You know, they've got various avoidance issues or whatever. Um, and then I've got students who want extra homework all the time. So fine, you know, I'll, I'll mark all day, I don't mind. Um, but it's about, you know, to me, I disassociate it with the actual learning in the lesson, or I try to. Um, 
students will often ask me like, what are we doing for homework? What are we doing for homework? And I'll say, I don't, I don't know. I'll tell you later. I'll send it in an email because I don't want it to be that, like, like the be all and end all. I want it to be that the lesson is for everyone, whether you're going to do the homework or not, or whether you find the easy, homework easy or you don't, you know, I want the lesson to be about the content and the, the joy of learning it. And, and sure, you know, I, I'll work hard and I'll do the homework, <laughs> but I'm not going to ever make that the, the focus. Um, it's a little bit different with the mock exams because, um, of course, as GCSE, we do regular mock exams. And I do make more of an emphasis of those, but it's always this is because I want you to be experienced. I never, ever make a point of the grades, the marks. It doesn't interest me because it's about growing familiar. I, what scares me most is the idea of one of my students in the summer going into an exam hall somewhere, sitting down and not being fully aware of what they're doing. That, <laughs> that, that scares me. So what, what we do is we, we just keep having a go and I try and keep it relaxed. I try and keep it calm, but it builds up that familiarity. So when they do go in the exam hall, at least they know what they're looking at and they've done it before and you know they're not left uncertain. So, so I do find that important, but homework, nah. So you like to keep the the content of the the content of what you're learning fun and almost separate from the mechanics of actually having to sit the exam and yeah yeah and utterly relaxed i know that for some students and some parents um my level of relaxedness can be off-putting and i completely understand that um you know i i would even go so far as to say i'm often incredibly silly um but I feel comfortable doing that because I put in all the legwork beforehand. You know, it's never that I'm sat there just sort of being silly because I've got nothing better to do. You know, everything's been planned and sorted and I know what's going on and I know when I can act the fool. And, and that's super important because especially for students who have come out of school because you know, for whatever reason, they don't like traditional teaching methods or, or styles or whatever. Um, it needs to be different from that. And yeah, I was actually going to ask you that because I was going to ask about children who maybe have avoidance issues or maybe have a kind of school trauma residue. Would you mm -hmm. say that having that kind of lighthearted, low stress, not making it into a big deal is a really is a good approach? Uh, yes. Yeah, it needs to. Yeah, 100%. It should be that the learning is that you don't even notice you're doing it and i know that's really cliched but you shouldn't notice you're doing it you know we're sat there talking about you know we'll, we'll go through the story of theseus or something and we'll be you know uh, stopping all the moments and talk about how shocking he is and how terrible a guy he is and all this kind of stuff and how silly the monsters are or whatever and it hopefully that doesn't feel like they're learning anything but when it comes to that exam and they sit there and they've got a question about what did theseus do here and how did he kill the minotaur or whatever it is and you know, it's in there because we did it, but we didn't do it in some kind of overly formal way. Uh, I, learned a lot, I had a student many years ago uh, in school who uh, she was, must have been year 11. She absolutely switched off. She absolutely hated lessons. And every single lesson I'd go and I'd sit next to her just for a few minutes each lesson. I wouldn't bug her, but I'd sit there and I'd talk to her about usually stuff that was nothing to do with the lesson and I'd make sure that she had the work in front of her. Most of the time she didn't do it. Um, you know, she was fine. Um, 
Um, but I didn't put any pressure on her at all. You know, I, I just sort of, you know, but I always gave her a bit of attention because she obviously hated it. And seemingly she hated me. Um, and, but at the end of that year, she went off and she did her exam. So she did all right. I don't know how, <laughs> I'm not sure where she was picking up the stuff, but obviously she was just listening to something I said. Uh, and the very last day of term, she bought me a, a card, you know, and, and this, she, I would sit and talk to her every lesson. She'd never speak to me. She'd barely make eye contact. Absolutely. As if she despised me. And the very last day of term, she came in, she put down a card on the desk and she said, she chucked it at me. And I opened it up and it said in it, you know, thank you very much for not giving me up on me all year. Sorry, I was a complete swear word. And I was like, oh, that's lovely. Because somehow I got in there, even though I didn't notice getting in there. And she appreciated it. But it was, it was the idea of, she didn't need me to, I don't know, tell her how to form a paragraph or tell her exactly what dates to put in or whatever. What she needed was someone just to sit there and act like she mattered, I suppose. Uh, and she was engaging just in a very different way to anyone else in the class. That's all. Um, like she, as I said, she did all right in her exams in the end. So I suppose it's about, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's about not giving up on them. If, if they aren't engaged, it's not their fault. Now there's something, it's not, a, it's not also not a problem. It's not right not to be engaged with something. I think as well, what you've said there really indicates that a child can some, sometimes seem disengaged but actually they are engaged in their own way and sometimes I think we get into the school way of thinking that um, a child in order to be engaged with their lesson has to be sitting there straight back eye contact writing notes and and actually children particularly home ed children engage often in a way where they look really very disengaged but actually are are really engaged right yeah yeah definitely um you know I've taught students who are lying back in bed you know, they're always eating something. Um, you know, they, it seems like some of my students just aren't, just don't care, um, but they do. You know, in, in every class that I teach, I've got a, a certain number of students who will be very engaged, very, you know, they'll, they'll want interaction. I'll be talking to them directly. Um, some of them will have their cameras on, you know, a lot of them don't. Um, but then the other 50% of the class say, will be completely silent and it will just be names on a screen. And I don't, directly engage with them at all. Um, you know, I don't, I make a really big point of not asking anyone anything directly. You know, uh, if you want to answer the questions, that's brilliant. If you want to submit the stuff, that's excellent, but there's no way I'm going to say, you know, Mary, answer that question. Not going to happen. Um, uh, but the fact that they keep coming back week after week, after week, after week tells me that they're, they're engaged. Right. And the fact that I will get the homework from them and it might be sporadic, um, <laughs> but the, the fact that they're engaging, you know, I, uh, I put on, uh, a, a not a prom last year. So the idea is that at the end of the year, all the students come together or as many who can, and we have a big party because home ed students, they don't get proms, right. When they do their GCSEs, but so we thought we'd do that. And it was quite weird because these kids coming up to me and going, hi, Jake, it's lovely to see you. And I'm like, Sorry, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I've never seen your face. Um, they were one of these that voice. just had the the white name on the black screen, right? Yeah, that's right. And but of course, to them, I am somebody who they've been engaging with all year. And to me, they're you know, I mean, I have been engaging with them, but not directly. But you know, that works for them, right? They're completely happy and 
and, and very successful in the exams. So not that that's the point, but you know, it's, I, I always, I'm just amazed how every lesson the kids come back again. I always think at some point, because I've got massive imposter syndrome, of course, I always <laughs> think at some point they're going to realize I'm just a nutter and they're going to stop coming back, but they don't, they keep coming and it's lovely. Yeah. Well, you're massively subscribed as well, aren't you? Because I know that when it's really funny because I run a large Facebook group for home educators and every now and then people come on and say, oh, you know, humanities, they have like really good GCSE GCSE courses. And and every time I have to go on and go, okay, just so you know, they are like massively oversubscribed. So they do pre-recorded. I know you do pre-recorded courses now, but for many years, people actually had to come on and say, look, you know, he releases his dates in like June or something quite early, isn't it? And then March now. Yeah, mm, that's right. Because you start in you start start your courses quite early. Mm. And I mean, I remember that you used to I was on your email list and you would send out an email saying, "Okay, like I'm releasing, you know, I'm releasing the course in March. And I would actually put it in my calendar to book it because I knew it would get booked up. Yeah, people don't. I I can't keep waiting lists because it's too difficult to keep track of. Um, I'm just not that good at admin. So we have these days each year when people book on and they're always oversubscribed. And I don't know, I don't know if that's just the fact that there just aren't that many, say, ancient history teachers out there. And if you want to do ancient history, maybe I'm one of the only options, you know, you can stop me. Um, but it is, it is very nice. And but one of the terrible things that I have is I, I find it very hard to say no. No, can you do this? Can you do teach this? And I'm like, of course I can. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Sounds really <laughs> cool. I, I have to make sure that every year I have at least one new course as well, because otherwise I get bored. So I need to have some new project every year. What um, new courses have you been bringing in late, lately since I last saw your site? Yeah, I suppose. Well, last year, uh, well, this, this year that's, that we're halfway through now, I uh, started Marine Science IGCSE, which is incredible. I did a pre-recorded version because I wasn't very au fait with a lot of it. So I did a pre-recorded version, which took me a year to do. Taught myself it, literally sat there every week with the book and podcasts and stuff and internet and taught myself the stuff and then did that and now i'm delivering to students live uh, and also started uh, a level in classical civilization which is incredible fun oh is that your first a level uh yeah for many years yeah the first in in this uh mm. I, I talked about school and stuff um and then this coming year i'll be starting religious studies a level as well um there must be a very different experience teacher because my son is doing his a levels at home at the moment and uh he's doing marine science a level as it happens and there's almost no resources for that anywhere in the world Uh (laughs) and there's certainly no tutors for it either so it's most annoying but um it must be quite a different thing teaching a level it is yeah um yeah it's it's i mean i've only got the classics group so far and it's interesting because i think all but one maybe if the students in there did the GCSE with me. So it was good that we got to, I got to start with a group of kids that I knew and who knew me. I say kids, some of them are adults now, they're in you know, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the way that home education sometimes go longer or shorter or whatever. So yeah. Um, so it's out, yeah, it's, it's a different uh, kettle of fish. Um, we had a lovely lesson yesterday we did uh, uh, Aeschylus is the Persians, so a, a, a very old ancient Greek play, and I got the students to take on different characters, and for the two hours we just went for it, and we had just some brilliant performances from the kids. The it sounds like it sounds like engagement-wise, it's actually you, you use similar 
similar techniques to engage students when they're 17, 18 and when they're 13, 14? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. It's, yeah, I wish I could be more wise about this. <laughs> A lot of it comes down to just finding something that's fun and doing it <laughs> and and that sounds really lame because that doesn't actually well, I, help i've written more. down nine different points that you've made about how to engage students and i'm going to run through them at the end of the podcast because i oh, think dear. you actually yeah you have been coming up with some really interesting tips but before i before i do that and and kind of sum up i wanted to ask you because we've talked a little bit about children that maybe have um avoidance issues or have come out of school and really don't want to engage with that kind of school type learning but what about engaging students or children who may be just really low in confidence? And this can happen whether you home ed or don't home ed, right? Oh, I mean, th- sorry, let me rephrase that. This can happen whether you have home educated all the way through or whether you've had your child in school. Uh-huh. Yeah, confidence, that's a good one. Um, a lot of students come with incredibly low confidence uh, for a whole range of reasons. Um, you know, often... Uh, they've had their confidence knocked in previous education. Um, and it's about being, uh, first, I suppose, incredibly welcoming. Um, and you know, there's no, another cliche, there's no stupid questions. You know, you want to ask me a question, that's absolutely fine. And in all the lessons I teach, there's always the option to ask me a question directly and privately so that the other students can hear them. So that's often how they'll start. They'll start by, um, you know, maybe just tentatively asking me some questions but it's about engaging with that. It's just positivity, I suppose. I just, they, you know, these students with low confidence, I always tell them that they're pretty much, you know, as good as I am at anything. You know, this idea that I am in some way, I don't know, better than them, I, I dispel that pretty quickly. And I do that because I've got a couple of super skills. I've got dyslexia, so I cannot spell. I, I, you know, and they will see every single lesson. They'll be spelling mistakes on the board, and I will ask them to fix it for me. And there'll be questions they ask, and I'll say, I don't know the answer. And um, you know, should we either find it out together, or I'll go away and research it, and I'll get back to you, or we'll try and work through it. And showing them that I'm not some kind of god who knows everything. And being really super honest when I, I don't know anything. No. I, I think I think as a parent, that kind of vulnerability when you're with your child, when you're home educating your child, where you don't position yourself in that role of expert, where you're you don't sit in a kind of judgment, so that when they ask a question that that sounds silly or they think that sounds silly, there's no judgment and there's no sense that you're looking down on high in some way. Yeah, yeah. And I say, you know, there's certain phrases where I guess I say too much, but, you know, probably the one that most I say is that's a really good question. Um, I don't know the answer or I do know the answer, but, you know, let me explain it from this point of view, because obviously the way I've explained it up front doesn't mean it doesn't matter or doesn't make sense to you. That's another thing is is, is trying to make it really, really uh, a welcoming place where students can say, well, I, you know, I know you just told me something, but I don't get it. And then I'll come up with a different way of trying to to do it. I, I use probably too much, but I use a lot of metaphors. Um, you know, it's like this, it's like, or similes, you know, it's like doing this, it's like thinking about that. And sometimes those metaphors will be absolutely absurd, but it's just another way of getting the core information over. Um, you know, you can use references to all kinds of modern pop culture and stuff, not that I'm particularly down with the kids, but 
you know, you can always put on Harry Potter because everyone knows about Harry Potter or Marvel or something. And, you know, you can all go and say, well, that's like this character acted there and that helps, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it relates it to things that they're interested in again and also relates it to uh, something that's maybe not threatening, you know, like a topic that's not inherently threatening, whereas sometimes schooly things can just feel quite threatening to some children. Yeah, I think the whole concept of school being an institution gives it a weight that no matter what you do with it, there will always be that that heaviness to it, right? Because I mean, it doesn't help with things like wearing uniforms and having a stiff hierarchy of staff and all that kind of stuff, you know, that obviously is designed to give even more weight. But when it comes down to just learning things, interesting content or ideas about structuring essays or whatever, if you can take that weight out of it and just make it enjoyable, then I think it, everything works out all right. You know, it's not a big secret. People do really well when they're happy and they want to do it. You know, and that could be for anything, right? Um, so it's about making it just super relaxed and building that confidence by just being really encouraging and I, you know, I put themselves, I put myself in their position because often they'll ask a question that before I started you know, researching this lesson or this topic or, or teaching the course, I didn't know it either. Like classical civilization is a brilliant example because I, I'm not classically trained. Um, you know, I didn't go to that kind of school. And um, you know, with ancient history and classics, unless you're privately educated in this country, you generally don't get a go at it, right? And so the first couple of years when I'm doing it, I'm saying all the names wrong. You know, I'm saying Telemachus instead of Telemachus or whatever, right? And something that would turn uh, someone with a bit more high brow would make them think I was an absolute muppet. Um, so when they get the words wrong, I'm like, oh, it's cool. Yeah, I, I was saying to Telemachus for two years before I realized that it's Telemachus or whatever that is, right? I, I didn't realize that Athens was that close to Corinth or, you know, whatever it is, um, because I had to learn it too. So... If I've done it with my silly brain and my daft head, if I can do it, then you can too. And that's the important message to get across, I suppose. I, I know that your your courses, the, the students are very engaged. And that's why, why I brought you on the podcast to talk about engagement. But I wonder how you, if you have any advice for parents who may be receiving kind of pushback from their children, you because know, I'm sure that you have had that as well, where you may be getting a bit of lip, I, that's a really old-fashioned way of putting it. You can tell yeah. how old I am, but um, you know, or, or you know, or like boredom, or kind of why do we need to learn this? Or the, some of these kind of pushback. How do you deal with that? And, and what advice would you give to our parents about that? And um, the way that my wife and I have dealt with that throughout over the years is never to push anything. Um, if we can't teach it in a traditional setting, which you know often we can't, um, then it's about. <laughs> kind of sneaking the education through the back door, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, you're on a dog walk and, you, you know, you're chatting about stuff and you sort of turn the conversation around to something, I don't know, to do with what they're learning at the time and you bring in ideas and concepts. Um, and so it's, I know that sounds a bit sneaky, doesn't it? But we've never made it too formal and we've never ever told our kids they have to learn anything. We've never done that thing where we say, you know, if, well, if you don't know your maths, then you're going to, you're never going to get a job because 
that's nonsense. <laughs> or I what if they just don't want to do it then? Like, what if they just turn around and say, do you know what, then I hate maths, so I'm not going to do maths? Would you yeah. just be like, well, okay, don't do not do maths then? Yeah, totally. Really? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I, I get quite stressed by that idea. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, um, uh, there are subjects which my kids never touched at all. Um, and I must say, because uh, this, again, led very much by my wife, she's the... She's the brains in the operation. Um, she would always tell me, well, we're not going to push it. We're, you know, if they don't want to do maths, then we're not doing maths. Um, and I was, must, must admit, a bit skeptical that it all turned out all right, because my daughter, who was, I keep coming back to my daughter mainly, but um, you know, she didn't want to do certain maths things or whatever, but then she's playing a computer game or something, and she needs to work out percentages or whatever, and she does it and she she'll come and ask for help like, i need to do this thing so can you help me with that sure yeah and so she's got brilliant math skills but she's done very little sort of formal maths training because like you said with your son and the spreadsheets you know when, when you when they find that they need to do something then they'll pull the skills out and they know that they can always come and ask for us to, to help um and often especially with maths that's you know, goes over to my wife of course because i'm not so good um so yeah we've never ever pushed anything um with reading we never you know when they were very young we never formally taught them to read uh we just read to them all the time you know so many books i could i could probably recite most of julia donaldson's back catalogue you know <laughs> by heart because i just you know we just read them so much um so but you know it got to the point where my son, he really wanted to read a story and he picked up the book and he got going, you know? Um, and yeah, so I think, I know that's a non-answer really, sorry. No, it's a, it's, in actual fact, that's a really common approach in home education to learning to read. And we did a podcast on learning to read. And one of our guests, we had three guests, two were teachers or tutors, and one was a home educator who'd researched learning to read. And she said that actually that is the most common way that home educators learn, home educated children learn how to read. They just pick up a book and do it. Yeah, yeah, which I know that kind of flies in the face of traditional wisdom, perhaps, but it it genuinely worked for us. So that's that's all I can attest to, I suppose. So I've I've written down some of the tips that Jake came out with in our podcast. So I'm going to reel them out. Now you tell me, Jake, stop me. If there's any that you want to tell us a bit more about or any that you want me to, I don't know, change the wording of. So I've got learn it yourself first or learn it together with your child. Break it down into manageable chunks. Find a sort of interesting angle or an interesting route in. And I've also got that often that might be story based or kind of human based. For me, very much so. Uh, Maybe Mm. different for others, but yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, even my my son is like super into numbers and science, but he likes the stories as well, actually. So I think I think most children do quite like, especially slightly funny stories or like you say, when you said about the saints always doing something a bit crazy um, and normally something a bit gooey. (laughs) (laughs) My memory of saints or getting (laughs) shot by a million arrows or something. So, I mean, they like I mean, it's like the horrible history style, isn't it? They like that kind of routine sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good example. I mean, Horrible Histories has, well, <laughs> the books and then the TV series must have absolutely changed the the perception of history for a generation, mustn't it? It's incredible. Um, and actually, yeah. talking about that, I know when my my daughter first did your classical civilization course, 
I remember the first couple of uh, lessons and I sat in on them. I was staggered by how much children knew about the Greek gods. And then my daughter turned around and said, well, they've all read Percy Jackson. And I was like, I've not even heard of Percy Jackson. But they had, I mean, they knew staggering amounts about Greek gods from the Percy Jackson books, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I still, for my sins, I haven't read them. Um, a student literally bought me them last year, and I still haven't read them, but I should do. But yeah, that's that's the way in for for so many uh, students. They they come knowing the stories, and sometimes it's interesting because you've got to then pick apart. Well, actually, that's what happened in Percy Jackson, not what happened in the uh, the myths. Um, but yeah, at the same time, the Greek myths are so flexible that there's grains of truth through all of it. And Rick Rawdon, again, I haven't read it, but he's obviously doing a very good job of of bringing those characters alive and yeah, makes my job much easier. (laughs) I thought that when I was watching the classical civilization, I thought it must help that your, the children attending had such a high baseline of interest because my daughter hadn't read the Percy Jackson at that stage. And I think she, and I said to her, we've got to get you these books, right? Because otherwise you're going to be a bit lagging behind. (laughs) So to carry on with the tips, then, then you mentioned that it would be helpful to use media, particularly for subjects that maybe you're not, inherently interested in or good at so things like maths or sciences possibly but also maybe if you're not you know you're not great at english or things like that so using media or apps or things like that then you mentioned um channeling their interests and also harnessing their enthusiasm so that's a bit like kind of project-based learning isn't it where you sort of bring in you know whatever they're currently interested in i'm super interested in rocks so you do lots of like cross-curricular stuff about rocks right literally being there yes yes (laughs) yeah that's very much the way yeah yeah and then then you also mentioned that sometimes it's uh, worth bringing in external support so whether that is family and friends or whether that's tutors or online courses sometimes i know that there have been times when i've hit a bit of a brick wall with a subject and then i thought you know i need to or outsource this, as they say. And then yeah. you mentioned, um, and then we kind of moved on to maybe children who have struggled with the school setting or are not engaged with learning for for reasons, almost circumstantial reasons beyond their control. And so you recommended keeping it relaxed and lighthearted, not having too much pressure on the on the learning and making the learning not feel like learning. Which I think links into something else you said about kind of sneaking education in through the back door, you know, kind of conversational learning, exposure to learning in all different settings. And then we've got engagement looking different for all children. So, like, you may think they're not engaged, but they might be engaged. Right. And I think that's worth pointing out. And then um, finding finding different angles in, so different angles to engage your child. So some children will be engaged with some things, some children will be engaged in other ways. And then finally, see, look at how much you told us. <laughs> and then finally, you were saying that you should try to keep it like so that it's a very encouraging, positive atmosphere, not too much judgment and not putting yourself kind of angling yourself as the expert or putting yourself somehow on high. And that's particularly good, I think, for children who may have low confidence. So that's a lot of tips. I mean, that's impressive. I've got 13 down. That's impressive. That's what happens when you let me waffle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just here waving my hands around. Yeah, trying to catch ideas. That's brilliant. 
Yeah, I think they are. I think they are really good. I think they are really good tips. So for anyone listening, uh, no, in actual fact, before I launch into that, do you have any kind of um, last words that you could give to home educating parents who may just really be thinking, do you know what, I'm going to put my child back into school, I just don't know how to do this, I don't know how to engage my child? Yeah, I'm going to be really pretentious. And I'm going to quote Plato, I think, because oh, go uh, for it! I've never had Plato mind. quoted. I want that in my podcast. <laughs> I think it's Plato. People will fact check it now. It'll be Socrates instead, and I'll look like a muppet. They're it's the same. Really... I mean, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle—they're oh, they're the yeah. triumvirate. They all just—they're just like it's like the exactly. Trinity, right? They all just one. Very much so. Oh, I could go. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> there's a quite. I think it's at one of the science museums in Leeds. There's a big plaque that says, uh, "You learn more. You learn more about a person." For an hour of play than you do a year of discussion or something and it's true it's it's the play element that is super important um and that's what it all that's how it's fun and relaxed you know we're not learning this because we have to learn it for exam we're learning it because it's cool and it's fun and it's ridiculous and it's bombastic and we can be over the top and, and that's play isn't it yeah and i think as well as adults uh when adults learn because we learn all the time as well if you look at the way adults learn duolingo things like that it's very play-based and actually i did a podcast with naomi fisher about the importance of play and there's no doubt that the more you can incorporate all the elements of play and that kind of light-hearted approach children learn so much through play and and it is such a such a positive aspect yeah yeah Ah, brilliant Okay, so, um, Jake, would you like to tell our listeners who I suspect are now thinking, okay, this is great, how can I book Jake? So <laughs> would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you, where your website and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, search Humanities on Google. I think the website's humanities.com. Um, Spelt with a double E-S, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, I'm not sure. When I started out, I thought, let's go for a real fun, silly name. I'm teaching humanities. There's an animal called a, mun- a manatee. What if there was one called Hugh? Um, and it's one of those things which now that I'm a little bit more well known, slightly embarrassing, but I'm, I'm with it now. So yeah, humanities. Uh, yeah, and yeah, if you you're interested, you can go and check out. Uh, I've got lots of videos on YouTube uh, where you can sort of see my style, I suppose. Um, and come and give it a go. Yeah. That sounds perfect. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jake. It's been really, uh, it's been really helpful, I think, to to get a kind of a rundown from an expert on how to engage your child when they're just, then just not feeling it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.